Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we discussed Chicago's mayoral election, went in-depth in the aldermanic races, and discussed our demise. All this, plus brand new segments from Size Matters, Are We Cool Yet?, and the Trump Diaries. It's only on the Lumpen Week in Review for March 1st, 2019. Lumpen provided wall-to-wall coverage of the 2019 Chicago elections. In our first segment, the students of Yolo Cali teamed up with Northwestern's Journalism Lab to go in-depth with the aldermanic races in Pilsen and Little Village. This excerpt is from their Election Day special. You are listening to continuing coverage of the 2019 election on WLPN LP Chicago, 105.5 FM. This is Lumpen Radio. And recently we've been covering uh, on the elections for the 22nd Ward and 12th Ward. But besides on just the elections, we just want to bring a few issues and concerns that we have as just residents into matters and in con- into consideration that this is affecting our health and our communities. So would you guys, do you guys want to get started? Um, I'll defer to, to the, the actual residents here. So Oscar um, or Melissa, would you like to kick us off? Well, um... Well, for starters, I know that uh, for the residents here in Little Village, that um, health is uh, definitely, uh, you know, I, I imagine like anywhere else on the top of the priority list for everybody. Well, I know that for a fact that these uh, the local coal plants here in uh, Chicago here, specifically in the 22nd Ward, uh, have actually recently um, closed down. And I guess that's one step forward towards uh, a cleaner future, in my opinion. I know that uh, there's actually plans to uh, renovate this plant and uh, turn it into a... Uh, warehousing or rather a shipping um, um, location so that's uh, pretty neat that's uh, I mean in my opinion that's one step closer in the right direction certainly not spewing out all these uh, things into the air what do you think Melissa what do you think about that what I personally think about this is um, since there is a lot of there's a lot of health issues that are affecting this community and especially especially the, the coal plant factory and how um, even studies have shown here that it affects a lot of uh, a lot of the children with asthma issues or a lot of these um, pregnant women. So this is obviously a very important topic. If it's, if it's not solved now, it could even be become worse. Personally, yeah, I think it's a really important topic, and I think it's a good advantage to bring it up to these aldermanic elections because if nothing is done right now, then it should be done. For first questions, just to kind of get a warm-up of our show, I want to question or bring up the question, what is the role of an alderman? Uh, as as an alderman, what what should they do? Um, there are 50 seats in the aldermanic position, and elected alderman has a four-year term. Aldermen are important to the community and neighborhoods, as they are who pretty much get to have a sense and feel of the community. Aldermen are also the ones who have communication with their selected wards. All, also, aldermen meet with council members monthly, sometimes twice or weekly. They follow an agenda of plans. The agendas are often posted and shown for the public before such meeting. Aldermans also deal with situations of zoning, whether it's residential, industrial, or commercial. Aldermans also have the ability to uh, pass li- uh, liquor licenses or have the ability to give the, the okay to have new infrastructure being built into the community, as well as anything that the community has as an issue or that is concerning their community. And uh, usually, 
if a community resident if they have an issue they the first person they tend to contact is the alderman as they're the ones who listen to the community and they have that uh that uh relationship between community and someone who represents their community so yeah i think um i think you really uh, nailed it there especially uh, getting into the specifics you know it's really uh having a good relationship with your alderman can make or break a business for example um, but I think the core point here is that an alderman, um, similar to a, a senator or a congressperson, is the representative of uh, their their ward, their district, to the city, right? They sit in um, the city council, right? So they they get to make a lot of decisions beyond what uh, what Jerry just mentioned. You know, they have a huge impact in their um, in their district, but they also are going to be passing laws and, and, and reviewing things that are going to affect the entire city. Um, so I think that that's a really important thing because ultimately, uh, like Jerry alluded to, they are the voice, they are the rep- representation of your neighborhood, um, which is why we're having a conversation about who is going to be the next representative of uh, the 22nd Ward, which includes a significant portion of uh, the Little Village neighborhood. Adding to that, I feel like it's a... For me personally, to have a strong communication with the community as well as with the aldermen of, of my my ward, which is the 22nd ward, in relations between an alderman and the community, I feel like the best way to have a connection is to communicate back and forth. Um, I know such residents, sometimes they have the opinion in their mind like, oh, I'm not going to vote or that I'm not, I'm not interested in such uh, topics or interested in such uh, situations. But in in regards of your own community and just the benefit of your health it's just beneficial if you stay in contact or just have like updates within your community and as well as with your alderman because if your alderman he's the he or she is the person that represents your community and if you ever have an issue or if you ever want something to be done in your community the best way to have a, a good community for the betterment of uh, youth or just in general of, for future residents of that community is to communicate and to just plan something with the alderman. If anything, you can always just obviously give your concerns or just give your opinions. But even then, the key to here is communication, in my opinion. Absolutely. And we are going to be talking about the, the issue of youth uh, later on in the show. But uh, for now, Melissa, do you have anything else to add about the role of the alderman um, and, and why this upcoming election is important? Well, it's extremely important because if these certain issues are not solved or are not heard of, then they're going to keep on doing the same problems that are already happening and like to add more about how the aldermen and elections are like aldermen in general they're the voice of the community and if we don't have a good representation of our community then we're going to keep on being ignored or not a lot of beneficial stuff is going to happen to us so yeah i think these aldermanic elections are elections in general are important because it's the voice of us and we need to like pick a good representation of our community well said well said oscar well, um, it's definitely important that when people come together to vote and bring these uh, new aldermen into power that they realize that um, they need someone who, again, yes, as we brought up before, that will represent the interests of the community. Um, and um, in order to do that, that's why, of course, we come together and we make sure that we listen to what they have to say, what the uh, what it is that they promise to achieve, or rather just try to achieve and again, these um, these aldermen, whether you know male or female, they're actually taking a responsibility upon themselves to represent the community in their best interests. And I think that it's something that you know we should all take very seriously because again, these people are out here representing us. We all we all come together. We all 
voice our opinions. And at the end of the day, it's all just one person making the decision for everybody. So, again, you know, it's just all in our best interest to make sure that this person, this representative of ours here, is someone that understands what it is that we want and we need as a community. So for our first topic, um, as we were gathering information and recording and uh, attending these forums for the 22nd Ward, we came across a few topics and a few issues that the community and as well as the candidates uh, for the 22nd Ward, they, they brought up to attention. Uh, one of the first ones is the, the Hillco site, the coal plant um, located in uh, 35th and Pulaski. Would you want to give a little in background information on that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we, we get into the, the Hillco site, I just want to um, give a little bit more context, you know, about the outgoing alderman. Uh, Alderman Munoz, who um, I think it's important, you know, based on everything that we just heard about representation and um, and action um, on on behalf of the residents, uh, it's important to mention, you know, he's been in that position for 24 years. Um, you know, he's gone through several elections. In my opinion, as a resident, that's a long time, and it's not that the 25 years has is is an issue. It's just in in general, as generations go and as the community changes, there should be someone else who who sees those changes or can uh, possibly uh, bring new ideas to the table. But yeah, for 24 years, that's that's a long time. That's yeah. something. Yeah, no, and the question of, uh, of, of legacy uh, power and, and, and legacy positions like that is definitely, you know, it's a conversation we're having on a national level as well. Um, but for the question of the Hilco site, you know, um, basically what you need to know is that um, this is a, what was formerly known as the Crawford Coal Power Plant. Um, and it's been closed for about seven years, and that closure was largely due to uh, uh, community pressure, right? People voicing their concerns about having um, a coal-powered plant so close to these residential areas and the, and the health impact that, that, you know, that we heard mentioned earlier about um, having these heavy industries uh, uh, so close to these communities. So, you know, that site's been closed for seven years, and it's been a continuing question, what is going to be done with that land? Um, and so, you know, we've heard a lot of different things uh, from a lot of different candidates, but um, I think it's important to mention that that the name that Jerry was using, the Hillco site, that's a very recent development. Um, it was only just announced uh, at the start of this year uh, that this company, Hillco, had bought uh, not just the Crawford site, but also another uh, power plant that was closed around the same time in Pilsen. So this company now owns two very large uh, former industrial sites, and there is this ongoing question, and it's become accelerated now that someone has actually taken action on the site uh, of what we're going to do with these uh, locations. In our second segment, Mario Smith and Jamie Trecker mend our live desk with reports from all the major races. Smith and Trecker break down the races in this recap of the week's events. This is Election Night on Lumpin Radio. And now, your hosts, Mario Smith and Jamie Trecker, live from the Lumpen Newsroom. We have Jason McGrath joining us from uh, Lori Lightfoot's campaign. Jason is Lori Lightfoot's polling expert. Jason, are you with us? I am. Thank you for having me. Jason, right now it is looking like your candidate is in the lead. That's an incredible story. Is this dovetailing with what you guys are seeing on your end? Well, thank you very much. We're probably seeing a lot of the same numbers you're seeing, and we're encouraged, but there's a lot of precincts that are still out, so we're uh, going to keep watching and, um, uh, you know, like everybody else, hope that uh, what we're seeing stays consistent for the next uh, hour or so. Jason, are we correct in thinking that the numbers that are coming in from the precincts are mainly southern precincts so far? Historically, that's been the trend in Chicago. Is that correct, what you're seeing? 
actually we're seeing some good numbers come in from across the uh, city. So there's still, um, it, it's not like some wards are fully in and others aren't. Um, there are a couple wards that are, as of recently were still, um, I think it's the 46th ward up in Uptown only had a small percentage in and that's going to be a place where we're expecting to do well. So, um, you know, we, we're, we're not we're not getting out over our skis or anything, but we do feel good about the numbers that we're seeing and um, are going to be uh, cautiously optimistic until we see the next uh, data dump come in, hopefully in the next few minutes. I'm going to turn it over to Mario in a second, but I did just want to ask you guys, what you guys have surged in the last three, four days, and it's, it's really an incredible story. What has turned the tide for you guys, taking you from a candidate that was not in the top three to a candidate that may wake up tomorrow in a runoff for the mayor of Chicago? Uh, well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I think that's uh, that's true, but it probably started a few uh, days earlier than that. I think getting uh, a ringing endorsement from the Sun Times, having Robin Kelly and uh, Scott Wagaspak and David Orr come and join our campaign, um, having an opportunity to you know show pretty vividly just how Lori will take her message up against the machine uh, was a, a sort of nice moment for the campaign and sort of crystallized for a lot of people who Lori is and what she's about and why she's an exciting leader and why we feel good about uh, our chances going forward, uh, no matter who we're running against in April, if we are so lucky to get that far. Hi, Jason Mario here. Um, Lori Lightfoot's campaign has been, been ran efficiently, very interesting campaign. Um, I, I, I wonder how do you feel about her chances in a runoff and in your and in your campaign, does it matter who the runoff uh, the other person is? We'll worry about the, the the you know sort of horse race politics tomorrow. Right now, uh, if I think about what uh, Lori's campaign is going to look like for the next six weeks or five weeks, it's going to be basically what it's looked like for the last three weeks or five weeks, or for those who've been paying attention, six months or a year. Um, Lori hasn't changed. Um, I think people have just been paying a little bit more attention in the last few days and. Based on that, we do feel uh, pretty good about continuing to reach the uh, voters with the right message, which is that it's time for change, it's time for a more progressive path, it's time to end some of these machine politics that really don't work for uh, Chicagoans, and um, Lori has made that the cornerstone of her campaign from day one. That, it's an amazing story here. I, I just want to say, you mentioned the Sun-Times endorsement, and you know we're, we're in an age where newspapers really have not had as much weight as they've had before, so that's a startling thing to me. Is that really what, what puts you guys over the edge, in your opinion? There, there's a lot of things that were helpful. That's one of them. Uh, again, we're not over the edge yet, I should be clear. We are watching the numbers come in just like you are and hoping for the best. Um, but the Sun-Times endorsement was helpful from the perspective of, look, there are 14 candidates, right? Um, some of them are well-known, some of them are not as well-known. Um, if you are a voter who is tuning in, you know, in the last month or two of a campaign and trying to figure out who to vote for and what the issues are and uh, what the differences are between the candidates or among the candidates, that's the type of uh, shot in the arm that can really uh, crystallize for people why she's the right candidate or what she offers that they've been looking for. So it was helpful from that perspective, yes. For me, what a, when I look at low turnout, it means that every vote counts and there's a lot of different issues in the city. What do you think, based on the polling and just kind of getting around and being in front of different audiences, what do you think are the, the issues that really galvanize people this election and, and seem to back your candidate, Lori Lightfoot? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of the things that always matter. People want to invest in neighborhood schools. Uh, they want to feel like they can have a better relationship with the police um, and that their neighborhoods can be safer. 
they want to make sure that the city's finances are on the right path. Uh, they don't want to feel like they need to move to the suburbs because property taxes are too high. These are the things that are always important and they remain important and Laura spoke to those throughout the campaign. Beyond that, uh, I, I don't think uh, I can tell you with a straight face that um, the indictment of Alderman Burke had nothing to do with uh, the ability for us to get our message out. Um, there are some candidates who have uh, struggled to distance themselves from the aldermen. Uh, Lori had no ties to the aldermen, and so uh, when she's making her case for change, when she's making her case for why she's a different type of leader, uh, it was a, a very nice backdrop for us to be able to do that because people were paying attention. It's amazing. Jason McGrath, who's been a pollster with the Lori Lightfoot campaign, he's at Lori Lightfoot campaign headquarters. Jason, it's, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for making time for us. We know this is a, a very busy night for you. Uh, good luck as well. The early returns certainly are very positive for your candidate. I appreciate the chance to talk with you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Jason. Lori Lightfoot will be in the runoff, and she has just taken the stage, in fact, at her headquarters, uh, and with the words, so what do you think of us now, mm. has declared that <laughs> she will be in the runoff. She will be. She has 81,527 votes. She's solidly at 17.4%. She's likely to be joined by Tony uh, Preckwinkle. She's at 75,000 uh, 30 votes, that's 16%. Bill Daly uh, right now is out, 68,964 votes, 14.71%. The Daly campaign, we did speak to them earlier tonight. They did stress to us that there are between 38,000 and 50,000 absentee ballots that are not accounted for. That doesn't mean there are 50,000 missing votes. It means that there were requested absentee ballots that are not accounted for. In addition, Paul Vallis has conceded. Uh, Gary McCarthy has conceded. Jerry Chico has conceded. Susanna Mendoza has conceded. Amara Anaya has conceded. Bill Daly, this is remarkable. Bill Daly says oh, we are going to respect the democratic process. I congratulate Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot on their victory. There so Bill Daly has just conceded. Wow. Uh, that is remarkable because not all the votes are in, so they obviously know some things that we do not. Let's confirm it. If he's conceded, it will be Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle April 6th for the Chicago <laughs> mayoral election. That is historic. It is two African-American women, one of whom is an open lesbian, running for the fourth largest city. Bill Daly has just conceded. Wow. Um, when we look back on this night... The headline for tonight is what? Is it low voter turnout? Is it Willie Wilson's money almost worked? Is it Bill Daly's money didn't work? Is it two African-American women running for mayor? Is it first African-American woman mayor in the history of the city of Chicago? What will be the headline taken away from tonight? Can I go with other? Yeah. I think the headline tonight is Lori Lightfoot was the leader throughout the night and goes in to the to the mayoral runoff as the favorite mm. from mm. from from behind mm. either the money candidate or yeah. behind the the backed establishment candidate Lori Lightfoot passed them both convincingly mm -hmm. built a lead up and is going to maintain that all the way through not one of the one of the lowest uh, in terms of money raised and spent but someone that, that got an endorsement, built a ground game. I think it's all about Lori Lightfoot shocking everyone. Everybody. Yes. And that, that, I'm going to go with other as well because I think the story of the night is progressive politicians have taken another scalp in this city. We are seeing this. We saw this a little bit in the midterm election with a, a number of what I think were considered fringe candidates 
winning seats, forming a new Democratic House majority that moved us further to the left, this is another indication of a blowback against the government that we have, the presidency that we have, excuse me, as well as a dissatisfaction, I would say, with business as usual in this city. This is stunning. When, when, and I, and I, I don't mean to keep overstating the fact, but uh, I don't think you can overstate uh, the fact. Yeah. I really don't. Imagine this Chicago, like it or not, and you had a chance to do something about it if you didn't like it, you're going to have an African American mayor in the city. And what that means for certain portions of this city is huge. It, 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 the, the visualization of seeing someone being able to say, I do not like what has been happening on the south and west sides of Chicago for low these many years, all the money being pushed into downtown and onto the north side. We're about to change that metric. And, and if if she does that, whoever she may be, and I think it's Lori Lightfoot at this point, if she does that, that is going to change the city forever. Yeah. It, it 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 adds a wrinkle no one expected. Yeah. You know, you you're not talking jobs. You're talking better schools. You're talking improved infrastructure. You're talking. There are a lot of things Chicago needs, and and if this woman can provide that, wow. Well, let me let's let's back this up for a second, and I want to ask a couple of questions to you guys, because first, is this as momentous a night for this city as it was when Barack Obama? became president of the United States? Is this a seminal moment for the people in this city? And the second thing I want to follow this up with, we're it's, it's a very exciting night. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. The city has tremendous problems. We've got $22 billion in notes coming due. We've got a $9 billion budget out there. Rahm Emanuel has just closed incredible amounts of schools on the south and west side. Whoever takes this job is going to be kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of pressure and expectations on them. So the second part of that question is, can Lori Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle live up to what are going to be enormous expectations of the citizens of the South and West Side who, and I'm, I can't use a word here that I would normally use because <laughs> we're on the radio, but they've been crapped on for years yes. and years in this city. Decades. Decades. Also, will there be a... <laughs> I, 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 just because I know where we live and the time we live in, will there be a fair amount of homophobia when it comes to Lori Life? Yeah, that's a great question. Will people not vote because she's gay? W- will that deter people from voting? Yeah. It's a real question. It's a dumb question, but it's a real question. No, it's, a real, it's a real question. I mean, also asking if white people are going to stand are, are, are white people going to vote? Yeah. You know, what, what will this voting demographic be like in six weeks? That's, that's a thing. I mean, some of these questions, I hate to say it, we're still in dumb times. We yeah, still man. got a moron oh, yes. in the White House. Yeah, man. So some yeah, of man. these things that we're, we're talking about are unfortunate. They're unfortunate, but they're real. But again, do we look at this night? Are we going to come back and look at this night and say, this was the moment when Chicago decided it was sick and tired of being told what to do by white people on the north side and decided finally... We had a lot of candidates talking about this. Everybody, Jerry McCarthy talked about this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Paul Vallis talked about this. And neither of those men, I think you'd go out and say, hey, these are great unifiers. But both of them did say, we have to bring the entire city together. Is this the moment? Is this the time it finally happens by electing one of these two African-American women? And can they do that job? Because yeah. amongst all of the work that they'll have to do, that may be the, if it's not the biggest job, it's 1A. Bringing the city together is going to be yeoman's work. They're going to have to to get in there day one and do that. I think that people will look at the, 
the the election six weeks from now as that kind of Barack Obama moment. I think they should look at tonight as that moment. Yeah, I think this. I think that tonight's going to grow in stature from this day forward for what it means and what it represents. Just to kind of put answers on some of these questions. Mm-hmm. I think the other reality is that, for better or worse, I think that if you're interested in running for mayor, <laughs> you have a great 20, chance of winning. Twenty-three, you can win. <laughs> I think that I think that you it like honestly, it may be worth. Running now, or running now, or when things start, because the 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 number of issues that Jamie laid out. I'll be fifty six. Oh, you're, I'm super you're in young. The prime. I might. Do yeah, it. I mean, you're younger than Tony Prockman. I might do it. The number of issues that the city has to deal with, and you know, it's popular to say, you know, uh, you know, we have tough choices to make and everything. There are going to be a lot of organized and yep. and unorganized people and entities and interests across the city that are going to be dealing with a lot of pressure. The pension solution is not easy. No, it's not. The, the, the opening up of new funding and new revenue, not easy. The, the figuring out the, CPS. The, the figure, the, the, it's going to be a new contracts have yeah, to be negotiated. Yep. So The charter schools, we've got teachers going on strike. I mean, these, Absolutely. Yeah. Like across the board. I, it really is a space where... There's the potential for big, bold swings at things. But with big, bold swings at things come really easy attacks, especially, let's say, you know, for either of these candidates. But as we've seen, it's easier it's easier to run when you don't have as big of a record right. to go against. They're going to have a lot of big things immediately. Yes, they are. On their plates. Where, where do you start? Do you start with the fact that we now have a police department that's operating under a consent decree? Do you start with the schools? Or do you start with the infrastructure? Because those are three huge things. We have bridges that are falling apart in the city. I mean, that's a nuts and bolts thing. We got lead in the water. We got lead in our water, yeah. Where do you start? If, if you are – just put your, put yourself in, in, in Tony and Laurie's shoes for a second – What's the first thing you do when you get in there? Where do you spend some of this money? Well, first, these shoes are really tight. Secondly, um, <laughs> I think I think if I'm if I'm the mayor of Chicago, I think I got to do infrastructure first because nobody can get where they have to go to work if the roads are falling apart. You, you almost and and I think that's a that's of all of the problems. That's the one that you can tackle first because there are funds available for it. You don't really have to seek them out. You have a cooperative governor now in J.B. Pritzker. But you don't have a cooperative federal system to get federal matching funds. That's the, that would be the rub unless J.B. can work something out because he just got named to some federal committee about uh, national security. That's right. So maybe he can like flinagle the great pumpkin to do something. Trump did say he was a buddy of Pritzker's. Yeah. The other day, which, well, of course weird, which is a weird of, thing. Of course yeah. he is, because Pritzker's a, yeah, got yeah, yeah. that cake. They, they, maybe, they he's a, maybe he's a Mar-a-Lago member. I, I, and, and, and <laughs> maybe. God, I hope we didn't go to a spa. Maybe, maybe by having a cooperative governor, it will be easier for one of these two women to govern. But governing in Chicago, for them, I think with the with this change in the city council, from what we've seen tonight, yeah. might not be as difficult as we are, are are thinking it'll be for them, for either one of them. But uh, but again, Lori Lightfoot, man, if, if I was taking bets, ah, that's true. It's hard not to think she's going to be it. I would, I would start with police. Mm. Okay. And, mm. and, and, and I, for a couple of reasons. The biggest being with the with the decree in place, a lot of what can happen from the mayoral standpoint is going to be checked mm-hmm. by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a place where you can start to build that type of trust, that kind of 
direct reinforcement of what a black woman progressive uh, from the South Side connected to these communities is going to look like and be about, that space may be the best space to either enforce the decree or not be burned by things you said in the campaign that you can't actually do. So I would probably start there. I would then go to infrastructure, like you said, Mario. One of the things that Rahm Emanuel, who did a lot of bad stuff uh, that's well-documented and some that's not well-documented, that I thought was smart and engaging was those renovation projects of the CTA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? That was absolutely on time, under budget. Yeah. Whether yeah, the red line renovation, some of the other stops. I think that same kind of work with our streets and roads and bridges is something that again is accessible to people. People can touch and feel that. This is your classic logic of you put your name on this project, this road being rebuilt, repaved by uh, Mayor Lightfoot, Mayor Preckwinkle, or whatever. You build up that equity because. From there, it only gets harder and it only becomes a zero-sum game when it comes to money and such. Welcome to another edition of News from the Service Entrance. I'm Mario Smith, and today I'm with the 19th declared candidate for the mayor of Chicago, Mr. Kyle Seismankowski. Kyle, may I call you Kyle? Of course, Mario. Kyle, you have an unusual platform for someone seeking the mayorship of this city. Your Undertown First platform is already being called one of the most controversial in the entire race. Some are saying you're sowing division in the city. No, 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 that's completely untrue, Mario. The fact is that for too long, Undertown has been ground under the heels of Chicagoans. In the that's case a of... fairly explosive statement, Mr. Seismikowski. No, it's true. Undertown is literally right under this very studio. You can get to it by going to the Copro's basement. Oh, I I didn't know that. That's what my campaign is about. Education, vaccination, sedation. Still, I'm having a hard time squaring this with your call for a wall. Listen, Mario, as residents of Undertown understand, our retaining walls are collapsing. Bridgeport is pouring down upon us, and soon we'll be nothing more than a receptacle for empty wonton wrappers and aluminum. So your slogan, Build That Wall, is about saving Little Bill's house near Diaper Hill. But what about all the stuff about Hillary Clinton? I mean, her emails, that pants. Jess, where is he getting all this? Oh, what are you talking about? Kyle's wearing a tie. He's bathed. He's actually making sense. Usually the skit is a five-minute word salad. Well, shame on you, Jamie, for not being more supportive. Maybe he's turning over a new leaf, okay? Maybe Kyle's finally achieving his full potential. Maybe it's his new batch of lump and bubbles. Lump and bubbles? That... Toxic brew made out of laundry soap? This is my favorite bit. Are you trying to say you're the progressive candidate? I can completely progress. Every day I go from point A to point B, and like every other Chicagoan, I put one foot in front of the other, and my pants go on one leg at a time. Boom. Focus tested I see it's By whom? I wrote it on an eye chart of Provision. I, uh, I gotta say Mario looks pretty confused. That's I mean. a terrific is, start. Uh, the one thing I'm having difficulty with is uh, your penchant for nicknames. Some people might think that referring to the other candidates by names such as Neil, Salesforce, Griffin, and Paul Walrus are demeaning to the process. But that's not Paul's name. Are you sure about that? Check your face. And your Arm the Kids rescue plan for the school system is simply bizarre. No, it's not. You're referring to my go-out-on-a-limb program. It's about keeping babies safe, Mario. I believe children should have access to arms. How else are they going to use monkey bars, what have you? Mr. Seismikowski, why do you even want to be mayor? That's a good question. First, I heard the job pays a salary, which is impressive, 
And there are many opportunities for me to make much, much more money. Such as? Well, there's wearing a wire, naming buildings. Uh, I heard about parking meters. Parties Seriously, Jess, hall. what's going on? I already told you I don't know. Why are you always blaming me? No, with, with Kylie, starting to spew bubbles out Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on, I, I gotta get in there. Is everything okay, Kyle? You, you look a little flushed. Kyle, Kyle, hey, Kyle, 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 here, just drink this up. Tasty lump and bubbles. Excuse me, who are you? I, I'm, I'm his campaign manager. Now, Kyle, just drink it. Ah, the bubbles. What is in that stuff? Uh, nothing untoward. It's just a healthy cocktail no of more brain natural bubbles, no brain-supporting more. seaweed and stuff. Oh, Tastes like... Ketamine? And Tide. Brain bubbles. Huh. Yeah, I mean, you you know, they say when you're starting out, you should just dose who you know. But you're right. I mean, I don't think I have the stomach for politics. And that apparently concludes a very bizarre interview with mayoral candidates Kyle Seismikowski. Mikhaila, he doesn't have a chance in hell. Actually, Seismikowski is already pulling more support than half the field. He's well above Lightfoot and Ballast and is making a serious run at Chico. Oh, and my phone is blowing up. How is that possible? People are looking for an outsider, even a hallucinating bum. Excuse me, Mario. I got to go talk to Mr. Seismankowski. Kyle, wait up. Is Kyle Seismankowski the future of Chicago? This week on The Trump Diaries, Michael Cohen takes center stage and blows up Trump. Trump attacks Planned Parenthood. Robert Mueller continues to turn the screw. Paul Manafort has the book thrown at him. Roger Stone is gagged. And yet another woman accuses Trump of sexual harassment. These are The Trump Diaries. Day 763, February 21st. A federal judge banned Roger Stone from speaking publicly about his case after he published an Instagram post with what appeared to be crosshairs of a gun drawn behind her head. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson also banned Stone's spokesperson, family members, or, quote, his many volunteers from issuing any statements on his behalf. Stone claimed he was, quote, having trouble putting the food on the table and making rent. Stone's consulting income was reported at $47,000 a month just last month. A senior Department of Education official tried to oust that department's independent watchdog. Sandra Bruce, as watchdog, had criticized Betsy DeVos' decision to reinstate an accreditor that had a certification revoked. That accreditor had been considered wildly out of compliance with federal law, however, had a personal relationship with the DeVos family. DeVos is alleged to have directed a subordinate to try to remove Bruce. A former Trump staffer filed a class action lawsuit against the Trump campaign. The suit brought by Jessica Denson attacks Trump's campaign practice of forcing volunteers to sign NDAs and non-disparagement agreements. Denson is asking a court to find them invalid. Trump routinely forces staffers, volunteers, and contractors to sign agreement that prohibit them from ever publicly criticizing Trump, his company, or his family, and bars them from disclosing private or confidential information about all three. Trump attacked the New York Times as, quote, the true enemy of the people. The Times had recently published an extensive investigation in how Trump has spent two years trying to undermine the FBI. The government ethics office said they would not accept or certify a financial disclosure report from Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. The OGE said he violated his ethics agreement by inaccurately reporting stock holdings in a 2018 financial disclosure form. Insiders have said Ross may be the biggest grifter in American history. 
and Trump tweeted he will host a 4th of July, quote, salute to America as a Lincoln Memorial. Quote, save the date. We will have a major fireworks display, entertainment, and an address by your favorite president, me. Day 764, February 22nd. Michael Cohen has given federal prosecutors in Manhattan information about irregularities within the Trump organization that involve insurance payments and claims. Cohen has also provided information about donations made to the Trump inaugural committee, in particular the contributions of one Imad Zuberi, who is a California venture capitalist. He donated some $900,000. Mueller and other prosecutors are looking at the inaugural as a possible venue for money laundering. In related news, Michael Cohen is not to report to federal prison until May. He had shoulder surgery last week and he was allowed to delay his reporting date so he should recover. Cohen also recently agreed to testify to Congress. He will appear before the House Oversight and Reform Committee. It is also rumored he is cooperating with New York prosecutors. The White House is assembling a panel to assess whether climate change poses a national security threat. The panel apparently will include climate change deniers. Interestingly, climate change is accepted as fact at the Department of Defense and the Pentagon, as well as in other major U.S. departments. Trump, however, says that global warming is a Chinese hoax and that it poses no threat to the U.S. economy. Quote, I don't see it. North Carolina's election board ordered a new election for the state's 9th Congressional District. The partisan board voted 5-0 to hold a new election after a Republican candidate's campaign operatives orchestrated a ballot fraud scheme. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that Mueller's report will not show collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. Why? Because Trump had no reason to collude because, quote, he was an infinitely better candidate. Day 765, February 23rd. Robert Mueller sent a sentencing memo that Paul Manafort is a hardened, remorseless criminal who repeatedly and brazenly violated a host of laws and deserves no breaks in his sentence. Manafort is expected to be sentenced to life in prison for 10 felonies. New York state prosecutors are also moving to file charges against Manafort as a hedge against Trump pardoning his former chairman. Trump has no pardon power over the states. Trump issued a new rule that essentially blocks taxpayer-funded family planning clinics from referring women for abortions. The rule targets Planned Parenthood and anyone that gives abortion referrals and would prevent them from participating in a $286 million federal family planning program by jettisoning a requirement that Title X clinics provide, quote, medically approved family planning services. That means that funds that once went to Planned Parenthood could now flow instead to anti-abortion groups providing federal funding to the religious right. 41% of Title X recipients get services via Planned Parenthood. A federal judge ruled that prosecutors working under former Miami U.S. Attorney Alex Acosta, who is now the Secretary of Labor, broke the law by making a lenient plea deal with the financier Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein has been accused of sexually abusing underage girls. Trump said of Epstein, quote, he's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. Acosta remains in his cabinet position. Day 766, February 24th. New Mexico Governor Michelle Jean Grisham pulled National Guard troops from the southern border because, quote, there is no real emergency there. Quote, as everyone ought to be doing, I was on the border and I'm assessing whether or not there's a real emergency or a crisis, and there isn't. The reality is I need these troops to be available when there is a serious issue or a real emergency to deal with. Wisconsin's governor is said to be following suit. Trump is retaining his outside legal team to stay on after the Mueller probe ends. Trump is currently under investigation by the Southern District of New York, which Trump's close allies consider a far bigger threat. Meanwhile, Trump's allies penned an editorial this weekend in the Wall Street Journal that called for House investigations to halt, despite the precedent set in Clinton versus Jones. Their argument was novel. They essentially said that Trump was such a big crook that sprawling investigations would prevent Trump from acting as president. 
Trump attacked Oscar winner Spike Lee after the filmmaker criticized Trump implicitly from the stage. Calling Lee's words a, quote, racist hit, Trump tweeted, quote, be nice if Spike Lee could read his notes or better yet not to have to use notes at all when doing his racist hit on your president. Lee had said, quote, the 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's all mobilize. Let's be on the right side of history. Make the moral choice between love versus hate. Trump is the only 2020 presidential candidate who was promised not to use hacked materials published during the election cycle. Every other 2020 candidate has pledged not to use hacked material that appears online on the ground that it may have been obtained illegally. Day 767, February 25th. If a partisan group of 58 former national security officials said there is no factual basis for a proclamation of a national emergency to build a wall. That joint statement whose signatories include Madeleine Albright and Chuck Hagel came one day before the House is expected to vote in a resolution to block that emergency declaration. Trump delayed his own deadlines to increase tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods, citing substantial progress in talks between the two countries. Trump suggested the possibility of, quote, a signing summit with Xi Jinping at Mar-a-Lago, Trump also said there would, quote, be a very tremendous summit with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un later this week. Experts say the goal for Trump in the Korean negotiations is, quote, tweetable moments. Perhaps alluding to this, Trump himself told reporters he is in, quote, no rush to see North Korea denuclearize. Ivanka Trump told Fox News she was against a minimum wage because, quote, she didn't think most Americans in their heart want to be given something. I spent a lot of time traveling around this country over the last four years. People want to work for what they get. So I think this idea of a guaranteed minimum is not something most people want. It is worth noting that Ivanka, like her father, inherited all her money and has not had to work a day in her life. Day 768, February 26th. Behind closed doors, former Trump bagman Michael Cohen began three days of congressional testimony by describing in stark terms illegal and racist conduct by Trump while in office. Cohen provided Congress with documents to back those statements up. Cohen said he arranged payoffs to two women to keep quiet about claims of an affair with Trump. Cohen described in granular detail the plan to pay Stormy Daniels, which Cohen says was initiated by Trump, who he described as individual number one. Cohen's pled guilty to a federal campaign finance-related charge in connection with that payment. Cohen also detailed Trump planned for a Trump Tower project in Moscow after the Iowa caucuses had taken place. In addition, Cohen described Trump making racist statements, lying or cheating in business, and inflating and devaluing his net worth. He also provided further financial statements to back those claims up. On the eve of Cohen's public testimony, a U.S. congressman threatened him. Quote, do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Republican Representative Matt Getz tweeted, quote, maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. Getz said later he was, quote, challenging the veracity and character of a witness and not trying to intimidate him. He added, quote, this is what it looks like to compete in the marketplace of ideas. Following that tweet, the Florida Bar Association opened an investigation into Getz, who is a member of that organization. The House voted to overturn Trump's declaration of a national emergency on the Mexican border. Thirteen Republicans joined Democrats to block that effort. A close vote is now expected in the Senate, where Tom Tillis has joined Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins of Maine, along with the 47 Senate Democrats, to block that attempt. One more Republican defection would force a veto from Trump. A federal appeals court rejected the Justice Department's attempt to block AT&T's $80 billion purchase of Time Warner. A U.S. Court of Appeals affirmed a lower court ruling that found the 2018 deal was unlikely to harm competition. The court also found the government's argument the judge in the case had made clear errors was unpersuasive. Trump had tried to block that deal in retaliation for CNN's coverage of him. CNN is owned by Time Warner. 
In a major win for the special counsel law, in a unanimous ruling, a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals shot down a claim from a Roger Stone ally that Robert Mueller wields so much power as a special prosecutor, he should have been nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. They turned down that claim made by Andrew Miller. The U.S. military blocked internet access to a Russian troll farm during the 2018 midterms. The strike on the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, a company underwritten by an oligarch close to Vladimir Putin, was part of the first offensive cyber campaign against Russia waged. A staffer on Trump's 2016 presidential campaign said he kissed her without consent. Alva Johnson said Trump grabbed her hand and leaned in to kiss her on the lips as he exited an RV outside a rally in Tampa. Johnson said she turned her head and the unwanted kiss landed on the side of her mouth, which he called super creepy and inappropriate. Sarah Huckabee Sanders denied this ever took place. The U.S. Commerce Department has prepared a report on imports of European automobiles that bizarrely conclude these imports pose a threat to national security. The European Union does put tariffs of 10% on U.S. vehicles. However, the United States puts tariff of 25% on all EU-made light-duty trucks. It is unclear what this report will do. Day 769, February 27th. In riveting public testimony, Michael Cohen provided a devastating portrait of Trump to Congress. The number of frauds Cohen outlined ranged from the petty, from rigging an auction for the sale of a Trump portrait, to apparent bank fraud, perjury, secret hush money payoffs to women, and apparent advanced knowledge of a WikiLeaks dump of Democratic emails. Quote, I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. In granular specifics, Cohen said Trump directed him to lie about payments made to two women who had affairs with him and provided canceled checks. Cohen said that Trump directed him to lie about the payments to Stormy Daniels by telling Congress that Trump had no knowledge of those payments. Trump was president when this happened. Cohen also said Trump had directed him to lie to his wife, Melania. Cohen apologized for that lie. Cohen said Trump eagerly embraced both WikiLeaks and Russian aid during his campaign and that Trump had advanced knowledge of WikiLeaks information. Cohen said Roger Stone was communicating with WikiLeaks during the election and had advanced knowledge that they planned to publish the hacked Democratic National Committee emails. Cohen witnessed Trump taking a phone call from Stone. Cohen said Trump continued to push for a hotel in Russia. Quote, Trump knew of and directed the Trump-Moscow negotiations throughout the campaign and lied about it. He made clear to me that he wanted me to lie about that project to Congress as well. Cohen said that Trump asked him to threaten people, quote, probably 500 times, that includes people and entities, over the past decade. Cohen said that Donald Trump Jr. is someone his own father thinks is an idiot. While he testified that he doesn't know of any direct evidence that Trump or his campaign colluded with Russia, but I have my suspicions, Cohen said he witnessed Trump Jr. setting up meetings with Russian nationals. Cohen added that Trump had frequently told me and others that his son Don Jr. had the worst judgment of anyone in the world. Cohen said Trump never thought he would be president and viewed it only as a marketing campaign. Quote, he had no desire or intention to lead this nation, only to market himself and build his wealth and power. Trump would often say this campaign was going to be the greatest infomercial in political history. He never expected to win the primary. He never expected to win the general election. Cohen added that he had never heard Trump say anything in private that led me to believe that he loved our nation or wanted to make it better. Cohen said that Trump's tax returns were not being audited, which was Trump's excuse for not releasing those filings during the 2016 campaign. Cohen said Trump did not want to release his tax returns because he would, quote, end up in an audit and he'd ultimately have taxable consequences, penalties, and so on. Cohen named several of Trump's inner circle as complicit in his frauds, including his children, his longtime personal aide, and the head of the Trump organization. Cohen said he had knowledge of further wrongdoing by Trump, but he could not comment on it publicly as it was being examined by the Southern District of New York. Cohen also suggested the inaugural committee had laundered funds. Cohen said he was cooperating with prosecutors in New York. 
Cohen summed up with a warning to the Republicans who appear to be more interested in protecting Trump than in actually examining Cohen's testimony. Quote, I did the same thing you were doing now for 10 years. I protected Mr. Trump for 10 years. People who follow Mr. Trump blindly will suffer the same consequences that I'm suffering. Cohen then added, if Trump loses the 2020 election, quote, he will not transfer power peacefully. Trump tried to distance himself from Cohen, claiming he had, quote, many lawyers and that Cohen was lying to reduce his prison time. In fact, as Cohen pointed out, testifying before Congress was his choice and had no impact on his sentence whatsoever. Moreover, as he also noted, lying to Congress is the very act that landed him in jail. A House committee voted to subpoena administration officials over family separations at the southern border. In a related story, thousands of unaccompanied migrant kids were sexually abused in U.S. custody. The Department of Health and Human Services received 4,500 complaints. The Department of Justice, nearly 1,300. Day 770, February 28th. Talks abruptly collapsed this morning between the U.S. and North Korea as neither side agreed on any steps toward nuclear disarmament. Trump was quoted as saying, quote, sometimes you have to walk. North Korea had apparently insisted that sanctions imposed on them be lifted in exchange for dismantling its most important nuclear facility, but not other elements of its weapons program. Experts say North Korea will never give up its nuclear weapons program. Trump bizarrely defended Kim Jong-un over the death of American college student Otto Warmbier. Warmbier was brutally tortured while in prison in North Korea and died in 2017 after being flown back to the USA in a coma. Trump claimed Kim didn't know about warm beer, which experts say is unthinkable in that hermetic country. Quote, I don't believe he would have allowed that to happen. It just wasn't to his advantage to allow that to happen. He tells me he didn't know about it, and I take him at his word. The House passed mandated federal criminal background checks on all gun sales. That is the most significant gun control measure passed in more than two decades. Trump has already said he will veto it. A North Carolina political operative has been arrested after overseeing a fraudulent scheme involving absentee ballots. That scheme caused North Carolina to vacate the election, which was won by a Republican. McRae, McRae Dowless Jr. was among five people charged. The Republican Mark Harris said he will not stand again. Paul Manafort gave alleged Russian spy Konstant Kilimnik 75 pages of recent, very detailed campaign polling data on August 2, 2016. Manafort ordered Rick Gates to print out the data so he could share it with Kilmanek. Sharing such data with a foreign national is a crime and further raises the issue of collusion between Trump and Russia. Trump's inaugural committee has been subpoenaed for financial records by the Attorney General for the District of Columbia. The committee has received two other subpoenas from New York and New Jersey. That subpoena seeks an array of documents regarding the $107 million the committee raised to hold the inaugural events. The states are investigating inflated charges and money laundering. 70% of Americans say they want the Robert Mueller report to be made fully public. 10% say it shouldn't be made public. These are the Trump Diaries. Chuck Mertz spoke to Dar Jamil, author of The End of Ice. Jamil spoke about what large-scale biophysical changes our environments will experience as the Earth's ice melts away and how everything must change if we're to survive. This is Hell airs every Sunday at 10 a.m. Journalist Dar Jamal returns to This is Hell. He is the author of a new book, The End of Ice, Bearing Witness and Finding Meaning in the Path of Climate Change. Uh, You write that the reporting in this book has turned out to be far more difficult to deal with than the years I spent reporting from war-torn Iraq. And we interviewed you, as I was saying, several times reporting from the Iraq War, including one time uh, you were talking to us from the rooftop 
of a home in Baghdad, which wasn't the most clever thing, because I understand that they're shooting people on rooftops. And listeners can find those conversations at our Patreon page. Why was reporting, or why is reporting on climate change more difficult than reporting on war, where you see the devastation and death everywhere around you every day? Because, I mean, you were an unembedded uh, journalist, so it's not like you were getting a pretty view of the war. Why is reporting on climate change worse? And did reporting from the Iraq war actually prepare you for the worst? I, well, I think it's, it was more challenging overall and, and has been and continues to be because going into a war zone, you know, I mean, I expected the worst. I mean, I expected uh, bodies and, and tragedies and, you know, just the death of people who were civilians and, and had nothing to do with what was actually happening and everything else that goes along with war. But with the climate, I mean, obviously I expected, I mean, I had done my research. I knew going out into the field I was going to see vanishing glaciers, bleaching coral reefs, uh, you know, loss of habitat for species, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I did, but it, it really hit me on, on a, a visceral, visceral level doing this reporting that, you know, this is the biosphere. This is, you know, Iraq was not to, not to, uh, really downplay the, the scope of that tragedy. Over a million Iraqis di- have died as a result of that invasion and occupation. But we're talking about the entire planet. We're talking about not just the human species, but other species that are caught in the crossfire, so to speak, of, of climate change. And and when we really allow this to, to, to sink in, like what that really means, and literally the existential threat now that climate change poses to, I would say, literally every species on the planet, including our own, then that makes it a whole lot harder pill to swallow. I never cite dedications to books. I never quote them during interviews with authors. But your dedication has everything to do with the content of your book. You write, this book is dedicated to the future generations of all species know that there were many of us who did what we could. Now, all I can do in my position as a radio show host is to have people on like you to inform the public of climate change, its causes and effects. Last week, we started the show by talking with N Plus One magazine editor Marco Roth, who was lead author on an article about climate change called The Best of a Bad uh, Situation. But Marco says we all know climate change is happening, even Republicans and those on the right, including President Trump, who were in denial. It's just that their plan to address climate change is building walls and making mass migration uh, due to climate change as difficult as possible was doing what we could to fight climate change, was informing the public of climate change enough? And if it wasn't, why wasn't it enough? Well, obviously, nothing that myself or any of the rest of us trying to uh, alert people to the crisis and educate people and do what all of us can do in our individual lives to try to change this crisis. Obviously, the collective effort has failed and continues to fail. Uh, so it hasn't been enough. Uh, if, it, if it was enough, uh, back when James Hansen, former uh, NASA lead scientist uh, in the 80s, when he alerted Congress, that's when he blew the whistle and said, look, this is a crisis. If we do not change what we're doing now, we are at grave risk of damage. 
damaging the planet beyond repair. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but that was essentially his message, that message to Congress back in the 1980s. Uh, that was not heeded, and instead, uh, basically, global capitalist economic systems have stomped on the accelerator, and here we are, in, in smack in the middle of runaway climate change. And so, but that said, all of that said, uh, we're not finished yet. Like, there's, there is still valiant work and important work for all of us to do, because as grim as things are, and as, as grim as it, I show it to be, at times in the book, there are there there is life. There are still glaciers. There are still species. We are you know there are some species being saved, and there is always work to do. And and I think the moral obligation is on all of us now that no matter how bleak it might look, that we have to keep doing the right thing for the planet's sake, uh, if nothing else for that, because I think it comes down to now. That, that we have to keep our eye on that ball. And part of it, is, for my own self, it's a psychological survival strategy, because if we just sit here and stare at the big picture, I mean, it's akin to, you know, overreading the news on any given day in the United States. You know, you're going to need to be on some antidepressants pretty quick. So, uh, we had you on when we were back at the old station. Um, long, long time ago. Yeah. What Feels like think? decades, yeah, even it though does. it was months. Um, what is our, what, what are your impressions? What, are, what is an artist, artist's impressions of our, of our new studio? Cozy. Yeah? Yeah. That's good. Would you would you I mean, like, consider would, it for a scene in a movie? Uh, and what scene? Imagine what scene would fit best in this location. It would be whatever takes place in a backroom kitchen. So, I mean, right now I'm envisioning making some eggs on that stove over there. Mm-hmm. How would you film? How, let me take that back. How would you direct a scene of cooking eggs to make it compelling? I'm going to get up and you tell me what to do. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and do that. So R is currently approaching the oven, um, opening the oven. All right, so I want you to turn the oven on. Don't, don't actually do it. Don't do it. We'll just pretend. We'll just pretend. Don't do it. And crawl inside. Close the door behind you. Oh, I got, I got this. I got this. Sorry. Okay, you can just stay there. Yeah. Are you? I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure that he can hear us now. But it doesn't matter. Here's where you went wrong. If you actually let him out, mm-hmm. you would want two sets of footsteps coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Would you cons- Would you say that this is a compelling Black Mirror story? No. Are we cool yet? 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 The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shannon Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. 
The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen radio sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Thank you.